0: Welcome to Emerging Europe Talks, bringing you expert insight on innovation and technology, sustainable social and economic growth, business, politics, and culture, and helping you navigate the Emerging Europe region, hosted by Andrew Roble. Remember to visit the show's page, emerging-europe.com forward slash multimedia, or check the hashtag EETalks on social media.
1: Hello, everyone. This is Andrew Robel and Emerging Europe Talks, the next episode. Today, I am joined by Noam Bardeen, former CEO of Waze and currently the founder and the CEO of Post, a platform for real people, real news and real conversations. Noam, welcome to Emerging Europe Talks. Thank you for having me. I would just say that it's civil conversations, not civil real conversation. conversations. Perfect. Civility uh,
2: is, is something that we've kind of lost in this world that we hope to bring back.
1: So we're going to talk about Post, the new platform that you founded and that was launched last year primarily. But tell us more about the moment when you decided to this was going to be your next venture.
2: I don't think there was a clear moment. But I've been obsessing about the issue of misinformation and disinformation, the rise of authoritarianism globally. You know, every country is sure that it has an authoritarian problem. The world has an authoritarian problem, right? It doesn't matter if you're in, in Poland or Hungary or Israel or Brazil or the Philippines or the US, right? We have, we have this fundamental problem. And what I found is that everyone is complaining all the time, but no one's actually doing anything about it. And this is the thing that really frustrated me. And I looked at specifically around news and publishers and independent journalism and traditional journalism, et cetera, the whole business model there is broken. I'm a big believer that people and companies act according to their business models or interests, right? Then they wrap it up with ideology and explain why this is actually what they're trying to do. It has has an ideological bent, but always start to the business model. And the problem I've seen around news is that on the one hand, huge demand. It's a $130 billion industry. It has not really evolved much since the paper, right? Yeah, it's gone digital, but it's the same thing. You basically go to an app or a website and some editor tells you what to read. And when I look at my news consumption, I consume a, similar to the 40% of under 30 year olds or 60% of Twitter users. I use social media to aggregate the news that I want to read. And it all comes into one feed and it comes from different sources, different publications, people sharing content that I would never have seen otherwise, people writing content, you know, all, all kinds of different sources. The challenge I've seen around social media and news, though, is that once you get the content in your feed, you're constantly jumping around between these websites because traditional social media is links. It's not the actual content. Someone shares an article, you click on it, you want to read it, you it's a different website, you're bombarded with a thousand different ads terrible user experience, email capture forms, and at the end, you luckily hit a paywall and can't even access the article. And and this is is kind of the the challenge of social media news that it has not been designed to work together. So I thought to myself, if we reimagined social media with everything we knew up to now, what are the three things I would change uh, that I think are missing in social media? And the first really is the user experience, right? We should be getting multiple sources in our feed personalized to us combination of algorithms and people that we follow and and all everything we know and love, but the content should open within the feed. I don't want to be jumping to all these different websites, all these forums, and I'm not going to be part of all these things. So that's the first thing we're solving with posts. Publishers ingest their content directly to the platform, or they can compose it on the platform. But the goal is that when you're in your feed, you click read and the whole thing opens up. Second is the business model. And the business model today of news is, is kind of, I believe, broken both for the consumer and for the publisher. And I'm talking specifically about subscription. And subscription has become kind of the, the business model of the day. And the challenge of subscription, most publishers, or let's say the successful publishers, convert maybe 2% of their traffic to subscribe.
1: Successful, if they are success- successful.
2: Successful, yeah. if they are, Exactly. And now, of course, if you're the New York Times and you have 500 million actives and you convert 2%, that's fine. But if you've got a million actives, you convert 2%, that's not a business, right? But more than that, what does subscription actually do? It locks you into one platform. And so you begin reading more and more content from that one platform because you're paying for it, right? And that platform begins writing for the 2%. So if in the days of of advertising, you wrote for clicks, what a good article meant an article that got a lot of clicks on it. Today, what a good article means is an article that converts people or that subscribers are reading. And so this is part of the polarization that's happening around news because they're not writing for the 98% of the traffic. They're writing for the 2% that have converted, which tend to be the most partisan and extreme. And so in addition to the consumer perspective, you want to read different opinions. You can't. You hit these paywalls. The vast majority of us are not going to subscribe to the vast majority of publications. Now, in the US, 20% subscribe to anything and 10% to more than one. Right. So no matter how you slice it, subscription is becoming kind of bringing us into a world where the truth is paywalled and lies are free. And this is really what we want to solve with micropayments. We want to allow you to purchase an individual article for a few cents and a few cents, you know, 10 cents to read an article, maybe nothing for a consumer. But that's a one hundred dollars CPM equivalent for the publisher. Right. So it's like dramatically can change the, the economics, but also it creates the same incentives. The platform and the publishers both want you to read the content, which is not the case today. The third thing we're trying to solve is really toxicity. And part of the problem, as I said, truth is paywall and lies are free. Lies are not only free, they're weaponized and radically or dramatically quickly they distribute through these, these social networks because there really is no interest for the networks to actually combat all of this toxicity that's on the platform it's a feature. It's not a bug. You know, if you're ad supported and you want people to stay on the platform, you need to basically surface hateful content to them. They will get mad and upset and stay on the platform and see lots of ads. And no matter how you tune your algorithm, it's always going to discover that. And so these are the three things we're trying to change with posts. We're trying to be a social media platform, optimized for news, focusing on the reader and the publisher, and not just on ourselves.
1: You launched the initial sort of version of the platform back in November last year. And and in mid-June, you launched the app. How have you been doing with, you know, user acquisition, but also the publishers? Because, you know, that's also very important.
2: You no, know, it's funny. Today, Threads, oh, yesterday, Threads launched, right? Facebook's. And when we launched in November, we launched basically a very similar product. There was one feed that everybody had. It doesn't matter if you followed or didn't follow. There was no blocking. There was no muting. You couldn't search for anything. I mean, there was no hashtags, very bearable. But what that launch allowed us to do was really kind of normalize what we're doing vis-a-vis publishers. I had spent the past two, three years discussing different models with publishers. I spent a lot of time with them. And it was just so frustrating because everyone agreed with the problem. And everyone agreed that the current status quo was not stable. But no one wanted to be the first and to actually take a risk and to try something and do something different. And everyone's worried about their bonuses and the subscription numbers and, you know, all the mechanics of a corporation without anyone picking their head up, being the, the adult in the room and saying, hey, everything we're doing makes no sense. But once we launched, everything changed. And we have had we have maybe 200 publishers on the platform. About 30 of them are ingesting the content directly and charging with micropayments instead of, of just links to their sites. We're seeing users participate at extremely high percentages. We give you 50 points. We we have an economy in the platform's points, but basically one point is one U.S. cent. And when you join the platform, we give you 50 points to begin trying it out. And when you finish your 50 points, we ask you to buy more. What we find is over 60% of users, when they run out of points, buy more. Because they've already seen what it is that solves a real problem for them. With that comes the issue of Tipping. People are tipping creators and and journalists and publishers, et cetera, directly, which is also another very interesting phenomenon that we're seeing on the platform. So, you know, if you take away the friction, you give a good user experience and you have good content, people are willing to pay. That doesn't mean they're willing to subscribe to you forever for $10 a month, but they're willing to pay 10 cents to read the article.
1: But you said at some point that you, as Post, want to be a disruptor that exists sort of alongside other platforms. And you mentioned Threads launching recently and you know within just what a day 30 million people subscribed for that how do you think that will this sort of proper business model this proper way of, of uh, consuming news and i believe you know post is the right way as well will survive and will grow even further
2: so i think what we've seen in the last year has basically been a whole variety of twitter clones launching so let's not let's talk about the elf in the room, right? And Twitter is falling apart would be a good way of of putting it. And everyone is blaming Elon Musk for it, of course he has significant responsibility for this. But let's not forget it was Jack Dorsey who was the part-time CEO before that, right? And Twitter never had a CEO. It wasn't a healthy company before Elon took over. It was a company that was struggling on many different levels, promoting toxicity, the business model wasn't really working. There were all these challenges that happened before Elon Musk took over. And so the problem wasn't Elon Musk. You know, it's not that if we didn't have Elon Musk, everything at Twitter would have been fine, right? And so we have to deal with some of these core problems. I do believe that we're at, at a second generation of social media starting now. And I think the first wave of this was actually TikTok. You know, if you think about what TikTok did, basically disrupted YouTube and it disrupted Instagram. And it, it created a new experience that was social in a different way. It's not a clone of YouTube or of Instagram. But it's something else, and it, it solved a need, and people love it. right? And I think we're going to see the same thing happening on this kind of unbundling of social. Social is used for many different functions. And each of these functions will become its own platform at a certain point. right? And I think that's a healthy thing to have competition, to have multiple platforms. These platforms will be different based on community and features and moderation and a variety of different things. They may be federated, they may not, that doesn't really matter, I think, so much. But I don't think that you're gonna being just a Twitter clone that's not owned by Elon Musk is not really a business. So when you think about about Threads and, and there's Blue Sky and there and there's Spoutable and there's T two and there's a tremendous number and I'm sure there's a, a slew coming right. Twitter was a unique phenomena. I don't think we'll ever see another Twitter. You know, it had amazing things about it, it had terrible things about it, but it's it's unique and everything's unique to the time when things get found. I think today what we're going to see is a variety of new platforms. They will have to specialize and identify differently. And we talk about specifically about Twitter, I mean, about the threads, look at Facebook, look at Instagram. Are these healthy platforms? They are for the investors, but they're not for our society.
1: Well, if you look at Facebook, for example, I haven't used my, well, I, I do have my my Facebook account, but I haven't really used it for a very long time. And I've heard a lot of people kind of moving away of from Facebook as well. But do you think that We should be worried about Meta's growing power in any way.
2: Oh, forget growing. We should be worried about Meta, period. Okay. (laughs) It's not that it needs to grow more to be dangerous. It is dangerous today. And we're all focusing on Twitter, but most of the misinformation and most of the revenue challenges of of publishers and all these different things happened from Facebook, right? Facebook today is cutting news out of the feed, right? Completely in in Canada and Australia and other countries where laws are being passed to try increasing our profit sharing. So there's so much wrong with Meta. And the only reason I believe Meta exists in the current state is because the American political system is so fractured and dysfunctional. There's no regulation. The Europeans are the only ones regulating. And you know people are talking about regulating AI. Now, that's something we have no idea what it is yet. Social media, we know exactly what it is. We know the damage that it's done and it's toppled governments and people have committed suicide and, and self-esteem of girls. Like We know everything and we still can't regulate it, right? And so if we can't regulate that, why would we regulate it here? So I am worried about Meta, but it has nothing to do with Threads. I think uh, Threads is just another growth opportunity for Meta. But altogether, these are very, very dangerous platforms that are optimized to keeping you engaged by pushing as much toxicity as possible. So you can watch ads so that the executives there can fly private. That's the model. Now, threads, Instagram, in a way, WhatsApp and Facebook, these are all part of this kind of evil empire that knows exactly what it's doing, could deal with the problems that we're seeing, but decides not to. I mean, let's be realistic. Facebook knows when you're going to buy a car before you know you're going to buy a car. They already know that. So you think they can't handle toxicity? Of course they can, but that's the business model.
1: So, why should they? At the beginning of our chat, you mentioned authoritarian regimes and also misinformation and disinformation. And, you know, we see a, quite a lot of that in the region, in Central and, and Eastern Europe, especially, you know, for the last, let's say, one and a half years since the invasion of Russia in Ukraine. Do you think that there is a way of reducing that misinformation, disinformation going forward?
2: So I think there are different levels. And first of all, it's a very complicated problem. No one has a 100% solution. Everyone's going to make mistakes. let's start with that. But it has to begin with intentionality. You have to want to do something about it. If you don't want to do anything about it, then of course nothing's going to happen, right? And that's the state of play of, of most of the social media companies today. They just don't want to deal with it. They don't mind. And now they've wrapped it up into a free speech ideology and things like that. But basically, that's not it. Now that you've decided you want to deal with it and we want to deal with it, there are different aspects. There's what I call the hard aspects, and the hard aspects are child pornography, terrorism, inciting violence, homophobic comments or racist comments or anti-immigration. You know, That whole world of people being kind of evil, let's call it that way, is relatively easy to moderate, and it's the decision of what you do about it. And we are very aggressively moderating that. The misinformation specifically gets very, very difficult because it's a gray zone and because we don't want to stifle free speech. And the fact that you are a minority, in your opinion, doesn't mean you're wrong, right? So it's very, very complicated in that space. And we're very careful there. What our model is, we're more worried about things that we promote than things that people want to read. What I mean by that, put aside Germany for a minute, but if I'm a Nazi and I come on, on post... And I have three Nazi friends that follow me. And I write some Nazi shit and it goes to my three Nazi friends and stops there. Obviously, I would rather not be on the platform. But at the end of the day, I've got other problems to deal with, right? The problem begins when my algorithm picks up that Nazi post and shows it to you who never asked to see Nazi content, right? And the worst thing is if you actually click on it, it'll show you more. And then you'll go into this rabbit hole of... The whole world are Nazis, normalizing Nazi behavior. And, oh, of course I want to join the party, right? I'm, because that seems like that's everyone. And that's what we want to stop. And so we have a reputation scores for users, and we're very focused on basically taking responsibility for content that we promote. And, again, people want, it, want it to misinform each other, and it's not leaking out to everyone else. That's a second priority issue for us. When we do uh, what we're very careful about is what we're promoting, and we want to make sure that we limit the reach of misinformation. There are things that are black and white. You know, there's the U.S. election was not stolen. That is a lot. It's been proven in sixty court cases in a, you know like the government agency, like however you want you want to slice it, right? COVID was not developed by the U.S. Army and distributed to weaponize China. You know, there's like the things like that. Overall, our goal is to uh, suppress them and the extreme cases actually delete them. The Russian and Ukrainian example is very, very difficult. Like we have on our platform today, a American citizen who's very pro-Russia, who is constantly posting Russian, some will call it propaganda, some will call it real facts. You know, they all, it all depends kind on of where you sit is where you stand, right? But we've had a lot of requests from, and we have a lot of Ukrainians on the platform and big supporters of of, of obviously the Ukraine here and its battle at the end of the day for Western democracy. But we are not going to shut down this this account because it's not actually breaking any of our laws. It's doing things we don't agree with, doing things that are questionable. We're not going to promote that content to other people. But at the same time, we're not going to arbitrate and shut that account down. It's very different than troll accounts, bots. All those kinds of things, which are are a different story and you you shut them down. But when it's a real human with different opinions, well, you know, we want to shrink their reach versus trying to decide whether or not they should be on the platform.
1: You actually said one specific thing that I want to relate to, real people. Because if you look at Twitter, what about a a quarter of all accounts are actually bots, right? And uh, how do you make sure that all the accounts that are on post are actually or represent, actually represent real people?
2: So, you know, when you start on post, you get a low reputation score. And so your content is, is limited in its reach. If you actually are a real person, you'll be, begin doing many human interactions on the platform. And I'm specifically being vague because we don't want people to reverse engineer everything we do. But based on the positive things you do on the platform, minus the negative things you do on the platform or the other people think of you, right? we can begin learning how much we can trust you. And as your score grows, and we, we identify that you're more human than, than a bot, right? You, you are human, your content is being respected, et cetera, your reach will grow in terms of, of the content, but also your weight in our algorithms will grow. not everything's been implemented yet, but that our vision is that people that, or we want to amplify the people that are playing by the rules. Today, what's happening is if you don't play by the rules, you will get a lot more attention on social media, because people will get mad at you and they'll share you and say how, how terrible you are. You know that whole thing is really what people want. For us, we want it the other way around. We want to raise the reach of the good people—people people that are playing by the rules and they're and they're not trying to attack other people. They're not racist, they're not bigots, etc. And so that's really our goal. You know, everything in life starts with a goal. If you don't have a goal or an intention to do something, then obviously it's never going to happen. And for us, we're very focused on making it a safe place where you can come, you can have, people can attack your positions. They can attack your opinions. They can attack your thesis, right? That's fine. But they don't need to attack you because of your religion or your gender or anything like that. And that's really the the differentiation.
1: A bit broader question now about the future of media. How do you see the future of information, the future of media going forward?
2: So it's a problem. News publishers and the news business is different in every country. And every country has its own regulations or different uh, aspects to it. You know, some countries, it's all become industrial corporations who have bought up all the, all the local media. And now they use them for their, some places have government funded, like BBC you know, and, and others, with its own issues, you know, going the other way. Some places, it really is a competitive market and no one's making money. And so they're all about to go bankrupt all the time, right? So every country is very different. It's very hard to say kind of why things. But our vision is that any organization that produces news should have a platform they can go to for distribution and monetization of the content. Think about YouTube, right? If you're a creator of content today, you go to YouTube, you're focusing on your content. YouTube handles everything else. They'll stream your content. They'll monetize it for you. They'll distribute and and, and do everything around that. That's what we want to be for news. Okay, so that means that you might be what I call an unbundled journalist. Right, or a Substack writer or newsletter writer or something like that. You might be a small three-person digital-only publication that just got started in one city. You could be a very large, several-thousand-person publication. Why do you need to actually own all the technology and the user base and try to uh, the marketing, the acquisition, and the retention, and all these kinds of things that, again, there are a few large corporations that are good at it, but the vast majority are really bad at it. And we want to allow them to remove all of that and focus on creating the content. I also think, by the way, that one of the challenges with media today is that every publisher wants to be your single source of information. And so they want to give you a wide amount of content, which means that every publisher is basically writing the same article. Right now, today, in every publication, someone is writing another article about threads. Everyone is doing that. No one has anything new to say. So they're taking a feed off uh, Reuters and repackaging it or they're making it something up or whatever it is. Think about the waste, the intellectual waste of, of, for humanity of replicating the same article thousands of times, right? And I, so I do believe what we'll see going forward is that publications will specialize and they'll be experts at things. You know, the information is a great example as experts in tech, right? And they've become single source of truth of tech, charge a tremendous amount of money for their service, et cetera. They're really good at it, right? And I think we need to see that with publishers more and more have expertise. Some, some are going to always be wide, all you want news, but I think what's going to be more interesting is the expertise that's being developed. And they're great examples, like Puck right there in the U.S. Right now, it's focused on, on media news, and entertainment, you know, the information around tech news. I mean, they're great examples where it works. And I think generalists are going to die out
1: over time. I see a lot of support for independent journalism here and for independent media.
2: Correct. So we have, we have a lot of, cre- we call them creators. That's probably a bad name for it. I don't know what the right name is. But, you know, when you look at creators on the platform, we have people like Dan Rather, or she wrote all, all different types of, uh, of accounts that do different things. Our goal is to make their life easy. So, for example, for newsletter writers, we allow them to ingest their content directly into the platform. So they don't need to do anything. They just publish their newsletter and bang, it gets posted within post. We give them tools to monetize. You can decide to offer your content for free or for a payment, everyone can get tips. And for some creators, tipping has been much more powerful than charging. And so we want to provide them the tools, obviously, their core business is content. And we want to make sure that they're not wasting too much time and everything else.
1: So my final question to you, who is the ideal user of Post, in your opinion? To
2: your listeners, I would ask, what do you use social for? So if you think about Twitter, 75% of Twitter users have never tweeted. Right? not one tweet. What they use Twitter for is to get information. They follow accounts. They read the information, etc. If you're one of those 75% of the users, Post is designed for you. If you're one of the 5% that produce 95% of the content, and you're the cool kid who's always out there with lots of followers and all that, and you care about your following count, and you fight with this person and that person, you're a culture warrior. right? You're out there to battle other people online. There are enough other platforms for you go there. You'll enjoy that better. But we want to actually focus on the people who are not culture warriors. They have a job. They have a life. They want to get news. They want to be social. They want to share. They want to learn. They want to debate. They have opinions. But that doesn't mean this is their full-time job.
1: That's going to be my final question. Where do you see post in 10 years time? So... Obviously,
2: nobody knows. We'll probably all be dead from from climate change anyway, right? Uh, or, or under a global authoritarian ruler or something terrible. Or another pandemic, so far, you know. Another, I mean, so, so far, you know, I, I come from, from Israel and one thing we learned in the Middle East is never say it can't get worse. It can always get worse. You just can't imagine how worse it can get, right? But putting aside all of those, oh, AI will take over. Putting aside all those apocalyptic options, what I hope that that post will be it'll be a place where you'll be able to get a feed that's personalized to you with lots of sources of information. News today is not just the, you know, politics, sports, etc. It's a tremendous amount of interests and we want to be able to find what interests you, fill your feed up with content that's, inter- that's interesting for you, all that content should be available for you. Some for free, some will ask for tips. Some will be you'll pay a few cents for, maybe a subscription in the future. But the goal is that you should be getting that great content in there. You should be able to come, not spend hours on the platform, doom scrolling, and walking away pissed off. You can come, spend 20 minutes, read your news for the day, a few articles, walk away feeling smarter. And that's good. It doesn't have to be that experience that we know today of constantly doom scrolling on social media.
1: All right, Noam, So tell us how we can access post if one of our listeners is not on post yet?
2: Well, hopefully you should all be on post and if not, you should go. So first of all, on the web, you can access posts from anywhere and you can save it to your phone as a shortcut and it'll work. It's mobile focused. And when it comes to app stores, you won't find us in the European app stores yet. You know, Europe is the only area that's regulating. Some of the regulations questionable. GDPR is a great example of that. Huge costs difficult to implement so we haven't implemented yet and that's a gating factor for the app stores but obviously the uk it's in the app store and and almost any other country except europe but web and the web is post.news you know available to everyone
1: perfect so everyone go grab your phone and download or look at post news and uh, start using the platform noam thank you so much for joining us today thank you very much
0: Thank you all for listening, and we look forward to your company for the next episode of Emerging Europe Talks. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and do leave a review. This will help us ensure a regular stream of great guests you want to hear from. And finally, check out our news and analysis platform at emerging-europe.com.